0: Hello again. Welcome back. Welcome into Country Roads Confidential here at earsports.com, part of the 24-7 network. I am Mike Casaza. Now, just get right to it and say hello to Chris Anderson because you don't know anything that we're talking about today, do you?
1: I do. I do from a a perspective, um, a different perspective than I currently have now Uh, as a fan perspective, as somebody who was just watching from afar. So I think, uh, today's conversation is going to be just as enlightening for me as it is going to be for everybody else. So I think, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I'll be the ones asking the questions so I can ask the questions on behalf of our friends.
0: This feels so good for me because 95% of my time working here is just don't screw it up. And then obviously recruiting is a, you know, a bunch of coal for the engine that runs our place. And I don't profess to know a whole lot about it. I did get my recruiting guy card last year (laughs) when I followed you around at camp. So I'm not sure I'm gonna be able to renew it this year. That's going to be interesting, but it's it goes so far as that when i have conversations on zoom with neil brown and we talk about recruiting he hedges things and says i know you don't know much about recruiting (laughs) and i have to go whoa 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 (laughs) and now i feel like it's a little bit different because to set the table here a little bit 2010 is pre uh reign of anderson at Earsports, and your job was interesting i had no idea what it was until about five minutes ago
1: yeah uh A manager for a vending machine company, uh, supplying vending machines around Central Virginia, restocking them. And I was warehouse kind of ops manager, uh, setting up routes and making sure everything ran smoothly.
0: I love it. I'm teaching my, my sports media class online, and we're at that point of the semester where it's how do you get a job? And a lot of them are freaking out because... They're working at bars or restaurants, and right now they can't, so they don't even have money. But like, never mind the experience, and they're like, how do I get a job? And I always tell them like, you don't have to; you can be a bartender, a barkeep, a grocery store a shelf stalker. Now I can say you can load vending machines and make it to the top of your profession. So, thank you, Chris.
1: <laughs> I'm here as an inspiration for all.
0: Indeed, we are going to turn back the clock a little bit in, in multiple ways here. One, we're going to go back to the 2009 season, and two, we're going to go back to an idea we started to get going earlier during this little indefinite period on pause when we promised to revisit some stories that people wanted to know about and learn more about just remember or discover what the heck happened with blank our first one went over the oh boy the uh 2011 11, recruiting class yeah. for yep for basketball and this one is going to be in the same neighborhood the 2010 gator bowl we've gotten busy and occupied and haven't really had time to sit down and do things like this, but this was one of the more popular requests. That is the Gator Bowl at the end of the 2009 season, the second Bill Stewart season, the last one for his time on campus and for under Ed passlong uh, Oliver Luck came in June of 2010. So um, in between the last game of Bill Stewart's second season, the first game of his last season, there's a change at the top of the athletic department, and truly everything begins to change. And it's hard not to imagine that, um, this Gator Bowl experience, not just the game, but the experience had a little bit or a lot to do with luck's evaluation of football in the athletic department. And if you started to think about making a change at the beginning of the season, you know, pass passes prologue, you're as good as your last game. Any of cliche you want to fit in. And that bowl game was not a great look because uh, overall not a great experience for the team, not a great look for the team, not a great launching pattern of the off season, despite um one prophecy from Stuart that we'll get into here that I have forgotten about until doing some research on this. But as you mentioned, Chris, my knowledge of is a little bit more familiar, a little bit more intimate with yours. But as we're kicking ideas back and forth and I say, Hey, what about this before you dug in? What was your response to I don't know that idea or that game? What did you remember? What was your reaction?
1: The very first thing I remembered was that was the Bobby Bowden farewell tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember oddly enough, even though I've been following West Virginia so closely, I was on the message boards that uh, many of our listeners are on uh, or were on, and it, the the thing that I remember most was the uproar about Florida State getting into that game because they were not good. They were uh, not at the time. I, I I just looked it up right now, but six and six, they were mm-hmm. fifth, sixth, whatever it was in the ACC. They were supposed the, the Gator Bowl was supposed to be picking, I think there were three or four teams that were ahead of Florida State by more than a game in the standings. And there was an, a disagreement about whether the Gator Bowl was obligated to take one of those teams or to take Florida State. And they had, I mean, just thrown all nuance out the window. And it was, we're going to take Bobby Bowden and Florida State if we can, period. And that was it. And I remember the uproar about all of that.
0: Yeah, uh, his final game, he's riding off in the sunset. He's gonna go, uh, I believe the word he used was evangelize. That was the thing he was gonna do. Um, and they were, yeah, four and four in the big 12, excuse me the ACC, six and six overall had a, had a pretty mediocre offense, um, one of the worst defenses in the country, uh, not your prototypical Florida State uh, offense and defense and roster that you thought. Um, not the team that finished in the the top five for 13 straight seasons, which is a remarkable run. This was obviously at the end for Bowden, and um, they wanted to get their hands on him because it was going to be not only his last bowl game, his last game, the last chance for anybody to get that bounce from Florida State and Bowden, who was definitely one of the biggest names in the business. But that affiliation with the game also got West Virginia uh, pretty much invited to that game. Are you familiar at all with the arrangement and how that worked out?
1: I was not because I, I do obviously, you know, realize that they wanted to match up Bowden with West Virginia since he used to coach at West Virginia and they shot for that and I, I couldn't remember the standings. I did I did remember that it was just a couple weeks before that West Virginia was playing in what was essentially the de facto or not the de facto championship game, but their last shot to win the the old big east. And lost to Cincinnati at Cincinnati in a close one. Got robbed. Yeah, that's one way to put it. Yeah. But and then so I I remember the last couple of games were close. Uh, upset Pitt, which knocked Pitt out of the picture, and then kind of made uh, another close one against Rutgers. And but I don't remember anything else after that or why why it was a big deal that West Virginia was the pick for the Gator Bowl. And I know you got a story.
0: I do. And it made people mad at the time because I was pretty much surprised, surprised, right? But I was pointing out kind of the the ridiculousness of the situation. What you just mentioned with Florida State probably rises to a higher level. But West Virginia was the third-place team in the Big East. Now, granted, then, as is now, you don't assign bowls based on the – based on the order of finish you try to it maybe makes some sense but it's not always going to be like that um what you had though was a really interesting situation late in the season where cincinnati was 11 and oh i believe no 10 and oh and they were playing at pittsburgh and pittsburgh was number 15 and you would think whoever wins that game is going to win the big east um they would both have one loss um, Pitt was, I believe, 5-1 at the time, and 9-10-1 no, and overall. So basically, winner-take-all in that game. West Virginia was pretty much out of there. They already had a loss. They couldn't win tiebreakers or anything like that. Um, so Cincinnati at Pitt, the winner, wins the Big East and goes to the old BCS. You would think whoever finished second in the standings, whoever lost that game would go to the number two bowl game, which was the Big East. And even the week before the game, it seemed like that absolutely wasn't the chance. Um, bowl reps love to talk, and they're really hard to believe in because everybody's their favorite team. They don't want to offend any fan bases. So, you know, they were speaking openly about, oh, we'd love to have that team, that team, that team. But West Virginia was the one team that they kept coming back to because of the matchup of Florida State. And the weird thing here was that West Virginia closed its season on the road against Rutgers. And both games kicked off at noon, and that being West virginia Rutgers, and then uh, Cincinnati-Pitt. Cincinnati Pit was a forty-five to forty-four game, back and forth, back and forth, and then West Virginia won at Rutgers. Was in the locker room. The Cincinnati Pit game was in the fourth quarter, and the bowl reps for the Gator Bowl are inviting West Virginia to the Gator Bowl, knowing that number five Cincinnati could very well lose, and they would dismiss one of the best teams, one of the best offenses, one of the best coaches. In the country, just to get Bobby Bowden against West Virginia in that final farewell game, they would have looked past again, a team that was in the hunt in the, at least the conversation for the national championship up until the afternoon they picked the game, and just think about that. They give West Virginia the invitation to the Gator Bowl and then Pitt beat Cincinnati, and all of a sudden, you know, a team with one loss that was in the top five of the rankings in the BCS and all that, they just say thanks, but no thanks. I was in the locker room. It was surreal players and assistant coaches that I talked to. couldn't believe it. Um, But that was the, the lore. And that was actually the setup of that game. I think West Virginia was kind of like the chaperone. Um, The spotlight was not going to be on the Mountaineers that day. And it was all about Bowden and the farewell and trying to create the best story they could, which they did. But think about that. Like if you're a fan of Cincinnati, I don't even remember what the third place game was in the big East back then, but to get, bounce from the BCS and then the Gator Bowl, which at least is a, a, a name game. And if you're a program like Cincinnati, that's something you can really build your program off of. Remember, this is 2009. Um, boy, how outraged would you have been if you're a Cincinnati fan? Or just if you're the other way around, if you're a West Virginia fan, you're undefeated, you lose one game, and you go to the third place bowl in the Big East. Uh,
1: the Meineke Car Care Bowl, by the way. There you go.
0: Yeah, uh, been there, done that one. That was the yeah. year before.
1: Uh, I Obviously, they'd be furious because this is also around the times that a lot of talk about um, realignment and everything. And Mm -hmm. so if you're getting spurned from the second bowl game before and you could be finishing 11 and one in the regular season and top 10 in the rankings and you're getting spurned, that's not a good look if you're trying to go out and convince, you know, bigger conferences that, hey, we're a power in and you should select us and you should you bring us into your conference we'll help bring the tv revenue we'll help bring the recognition if you're getting looked over that easily just like that mm-hmm. uh, now obviously the gator bowl wasn't it wasn't a straight wvu versus cincinnati um situation here while i think they would pick west virginia over cincinnati in an even scenario this was a a all about bowden like you like you noted like yeah they picked west virginia but they didn't pick west virginia because west virginia they picked it because of the ties to bowden and I have a follow-up to this. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned that, that, you know, you heard this before the Cincinnati pit game was over and it was in the locker room. I don't recall. Th- was this already leaking out and being reported before that game was over? Or was this one of those things that, you know, some people knew it, but it wasn't public until afterwards.
0: Well, you jog my memory here a little bit. The okay. Nike car care bowl had just had West Virginia. So, that was one thing that they did not want to have again you know repeating is not great for bowl games in a short um turnaround back to back years isn't very good so that was certainly important um i don't know why the big east would you know lobby cuz they do lobby or i don't know why the gator bowl would care about the car care bowl right um yeah great like we just had the, the charlotte bowl just had west virginia that doesn't mean we're going to take them into the second place spot because The third-place game just had them. But it was so apparent that they wanted the Bowden thing, that they were making such a big deal about having Bowden. Why? West Virginia, the matchup. They weren't going to put Brian Kelly or Dave Wonstadt against. Was it Dave Wonstadt? It was, yeah. I was trying to think if he was still there. Okay, yeah, so they weren't going to put that. It wasn't as sexy. It wasn't as appealing. It wasn't as good for TV. West Virginia was, and they would have been you know, the perfect bookend there. And Honestly, Bowden probably chimed in, too, because that's an important thing in his life. I was younger then, not sure I was dumber, but I'm not as smart uh, then as I was now. What does it really matter? It's the Gator Bowl. <laughs> it's not deciding national championships, and you have a figure as big as Bobby Bowden. You can do something cool for him and for everybody involved. You give an otherwise ordinary bowl game a little bit of a different look, but it just seems so strange for me. It wasn't a 9-3 and three or a 10-2 Florida State. It wasn't a Florida State. Florida State and it was against a West Virginia team that was you know good above average but certainly wasn't a West Virginia team like that had been there just a few years earlier um so again proximity of the games that matters West Virginia always went to the Gator Bowl it seemed like they were a good draw there but was it going to be stale Uh, I don't remember that being too much of a success down there for ticket sales whatever I know it was a good story for TV but um just overall, what a strange situation. But before the game, yeah, it was that apparent. And, like, I can just remember seeing the reps in the locker room going, like, wow, they're going to actually follow through with this. <laughs>
1: um, so lead up to the game, do you feel like, uh, you know, you go through the season 9-3 and nine and three in the regular season mm-hmm. – was there as much excitement about heading into this bowl game, uh, regardless of opponent or, or whatever? But just with the season, you know how it gets when you go through a regular season. Kind of depending on how that season went. If it was better than expected, then you know people get excited for the bowl game. If it was worse, eh, they're not as as gung ho about it. What was the feeling as you recall about the program then?
0: You know, an indifferent time. Just, just strange. It was never going to be right away what it would what it was with White and Slayton and Schmidt and Megro and William and like those great defensive teams and offensive teams that complemented each other and won, you know, BCS bowls and, and just the height of the heights and you know, pounced on teams and, and pursued the national championship. And just the guy in charge was always going to wrinkle brows one way or the other. He could have been good, but he wasn't going to be as good as the guy before him or as good as the who-knows-who that they could have gone out and hired. You know, he got the job. Did he earn the job? Did he deserve the job? That was stuff that was always going to be held against him. And it's no different then as it is now, too. You really rally around the head coach of your program. And, you know, when your team is just kind of okay, it seems so weird to be like 9-3 and is bad. But, you know, you're talking about watered-down Big East conferences and college football, I don't think, and this isn't that long ago, I don't think college football was as competitive back then as it is right now. Is that a strong statement? I don't know. But it just seemed like that, especially in that conference, you know, a team that was close to the national championship and had beaten SEC teams and, and Big 12 teams on the biggest stages was very good in non-conference play and just didn't mess around, beat teams that beat them up. It wasn't quite what they expected or what they are accustomed to. And to find yourself not being able to cash in, you know, your fame or your accomplishments or your recognition or your reputation like that, and just kind of be a sidekick in a bowl game. I think that was a bummer for people because, you know, the year before was sort of disappointing because, you know, obviously the 2007 season was great, bad punctuation mark. The 2007, 2008 season, rather, kind of fell apart quickly, but kind of sneaky finished okay. The 2009 season never got quite as high or as far as they wanted. But that was with a new quarterback. That was with you know some some different pieces on offense and defense and just not quite the enthusiasm. But to be fair, it was never going to be as exciting as it was two thousand six, two
1: thousand seven. So we get up towards the bowl game. There are a couple, um, let's say, losses here. Academic losses. Uh, Scooter Berry and Nate Sowers both starting on the defensive side of the ball. And what one Sowers? of those yeah.
0: was he was he starting? Was he? Was he receiver or safety back then? I can't even remember.
1: Let me look. I'll look it up real quick. But you have a story about him, and I'll let you go into that real quick. Yeah, he was starting. I'm looking Sa- at it right now. Safety. Uh, I have to see, but it says according to the uh, stat book, it's got him as starting all 11 games before that, or appearing wow. in 12 and starting 11.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it hadn't been – Sowers was always going to be a popular guy. He's from Martinsburg, and Martinsburg back then was like a powerhouse football team. I believe he won the Kennedy Award. He was a just an excellent, excellent high school quarterback for powerhouse offenses. And He comes to West Virginia and was one of those guys who was always great in the spring or he would do something, and everybody like, oh, man. But the fact that I'm you know, kind of fuzzy on the details of his career kind of colors in what his career was like. I remember him making a big hit in the kickoff, and everybody was like, wow, that receiver can really play. And then they moved into defense, but – You know, you joke about him a little bit because he was just a guy, but to play both sides of the ball at different times in your career and start and play and matter is kind of an impressive thing when you think about it. So I don't want to, like, make it seem like I'm making light of his athletic achievements. I'm certainly not going to poke fun at academic situations. You never know what what they are, what the reality is. But um, as I said, he was really popular. He was kind of propped up as this, you know, West Virginia player at the WVU football, you know, Program playing offense defense special teams at different times of his career really a good story, but was kind of made to be that um, Nearly at the end of the season when you're kind of getting at that point about seniors And you're the media is doing stories about someone's last game or their last home game and what it means for a guy from Martinsburg uh, Bill Stewart was asked about him and said um, Famously Nate Sauer is a, such a great ambassador. He's a great youngster. He's a guy you want to marry your daughter He's just a great American And Agreed. then he just vanished like he was ineligible for the bowl game. Um, that was before the pick game. And not long later, he was ineligible for the bowl game, um, which is kind of why it's strange to put you know praise on people, you know, because sometimes it can come back and get you. But you never expected that from someone like him. But I think that that great American thing is something that's followed him for a while, because what an odd, odd label to put on somebody in college football.
1: And a defensive American, by the way. Yes, it was. He had made his transition, and, and the year before, I was off by a couple years here. That he was a redshirt senior in his second year as a, a starting safety, or not, maybe not starting that as a junior, but he was starting safety that season.
0: Re- really good athlete, though. Don't get me wrong; like a really good athlete. Like, well, they put him at different spots, and he never had the chance or the time to become like a great player. But he mattered. That's kind of like the appeal of him back then.
1: Yeah, and Scooter Barry, that, that was a big loss too, but he had been kind of hit or miss that whole year. Um, he was one that I almost forgot was still around that season. Uh, I had always just kind of remembered him as almost like he had left with Pat White and, mm-hmm. and that crew um, and went back and looked. And, yeah, I can see why I would think that. Uh, only, only played in eight games, only started five uh, in that 2009 season.
0: Let's start with the uh, who played. For that team that year, though, um, star power is, I think, kind of good. Um, Jarrett Brown was the quarterback, Noel was the running back, um, Ryan Clark was the running back, like the fullback, but he played um, defensively. Robert Sands was the big player. Um, you know, there, there was talent there on both sides of the ball that, that was. Kind of fun to watch and see what they could do, but uh, I don't want to fill in all the blanks. But as you look back or as you remember from your your side of the TV screen, your side of the laptop, there, um, what about that roster stands out to you?
1: I was thinking. I mean, obviously, Divine. I was still really enthralled with him as a player and what he could do. But the trenches, holy cow! I yeah. like. I, I yeah, I cheated a little bit by looking right now, but. Selvish Capers, Don Barclay, Josh Jenkins, Joe Madsen on the offensive line, Eric Eric Job, and then other side of the line, Chris Neal, uh, Julian Miller, uh, Scooter Berry at times. Uh, I can't remember who else was the other starter, but man, these are all guys that we've been mentioning for that ultimate 21st century team all on this one roster and all starting.
0: Brandon Hogan and Keith Tandy were your starting corners. It's not bad either. No, your linebackers are Laser, Thomas, and Reed Williams.
2: Uh,
0: and then don't forget, Sydney Glover was a safety. Sydney Glover was a bad man. Like, that dude could really light people up at safety when he was healthy. Like, he played so hard, he hurt himself sometimes. But, like, that was a loaded defense. Like, that was a really, really good team. And, like, that kind of became a problem a year later when their defense was so good that you kind of felt like they were leaving wins out there. But it started the year before. Like, their defense was, those names we just mentioned are no joke. Um, and then, good, I mean, it should have been a good offense and it had a chance, but, you know, you're talking about, you know, a new quarterback, which is always going to be prohibitive, but uh, Tavon was on that team. Jock was on that team. Brad Starks, Alrich Arnett, um, there's a lot to work with there.
2: eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: Yeah, no, I was thinking the same thing. I, I like Brown as a quarterback and, and divine in the backfield, but, whew, a true freshman, Tavon, that even as he got, quote-unquote, bigger, I mean, when he arrived from high school, what was he, 145 pounds maybe?
0: In pads, yeah.
1: Yeah, so to expect him to do much of anything is, is asking a lot. Jock Sanders had had his role on the team uh, in the previous couple years, but then he was all of a sudden thrust into that kind of – you're you're the man now you're you're our top receiver and i'm not sure he was or should have been that for the team um so it, it yeah not a lot in the receiving court either.
0: so some more pre-game stuff just to, to lighten the mood a little bit um <laughs> um noel said he was coming back he was going to play a senior year but no one really believed him and he was kind of mad because he he always had a i shouldn't say a problem but like he felt kind of unfairly treated by the media and that you know there were so many questions about him and his upbringing and remember the Deion Sanders thing and all that stuff that everybody's asked questions about him for so long. And he was anything but trouble here. It was a pleasure the entire time that we dealt with him. And when he said, you know, Hey, I want to, you know, I'm going to come back. People are like, really? And he's like, why don't, why doesn't everybody believe me? And that, so that was strange. And I can even remember like a couple of days before the Gator bowl, he was trying to get tickets from people and, I'd asked him like, Hey, how do you get tickets? You know, do you talk to somebody from Pennsylvania or somebody from Ohio and say, Hey, can I get you one? Could I get like two of your tickets, whatever? And he's like, Yeah, you just answer your own question. And Dave Hickman said, Do you, you know, do you make it worth their while? And something like five or ten bucks. And he kinda looked at us and had this like Noel look on his face. And then he flashed a big smile. He's like, Are you trying to get me in trouble so I can't play in the bowl game? So he had like a good a good mood about it too. So that was a good thing. Uh, Jock Sanders was kind of on the fence about it, but you know, he was eventually gonna come back. So that was Interesting. Um, in the lead up to the bowl game though, uh, I think the biggest star in that team and the guy I even wrote about after the game, because he was so good in the game was, was Robert Sands and Robert Sands was a lot of fun to talk to. Um, I believe he knew Flo Rida because they went to the same high school and like the the deal was that he might have been a bigger star from Carroll City than Flowrider, so he didn't. He was fun to talk to. He had 13 tackles in that game for a safety. He was lighting guys up. That's the one thing I remember. But before the game, like he was so sure they were going to win and so good. And you'll remember, uh, Christian Ponder was Florida State's quarterback, and he had been in and out of the lineup during the year. Didn't play in the bowl game. Do you know their backup who played in that game?
1: Uh, I do, but that's because I cheated. I've already looked at the box score. Yes. EJ Manuel.
0: Incorrect, Chris. What? His name was PJ Danielson, according to Robert Sands. Uh, <laughs> All like 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 at two or three media things during the week, he kept referring to them because no one really knew about him. I mean, they didn't follow Florida State, and it was Ponder's team. And Manuel played a little bit, but he kept referring to him as Danielson, PJ Danielson, the quarterback Danielson. I have no idea where he got it from. Maybe BJ Daniels at South Florida had gotten into his head, and he just conflated the two names. But P.J. Danielson, um, imagine Sam's surprise when E.J. Manuel played quarterback that day.
1: Absolutely. By the way, a future battle between uh, 2013 NFL draft picks. Yeah. E.J. Manuel and one very own Geno Smith, who also got in when he wasn't supposed to be playing. And do you know who
0: nearly played in that game? Because Brown started, rolled an ankle, Gino relieved. Who is the third quarterback? Do you remember this?
1: I do, but I want you to tell a story.
0: It was Coley White who nearly got in for like some option football because the offense had stagnated so much in the second half. Um, that would have been interesting because who knows what that tested Gino Smith's trajectory if he doesn't get to go on and you know finish what he did not start that day. But he played a little bit that season, um, most notably against Marshall in the comeback win that year, where they could have you know. That was a year later, I guess, wasn't it? Yeah. Wait a minute. When was that one? Okay. Did he play against Marshall that year? Oh,
1: uh, man. Now you're making me think. Should
0: have done my homework. But the <laughs> point being that he was okay in that game, had some trouble, and their offense got in such a bad spot during the game, they are trying to do something because Florida State was talented on defense. They are flying around and just cutting them off on everything um, once they settled in. And uh, Gino was 8 for 15, I believe, in the game. Um, yeah, not, something like that. Not great. They thought about putting Coley White in to run some option because that was not Geno's thing. Um, I believe he had a foot injury that he was still working on at that time um, that eventually I think he needed to to cool it off for a while. Um, So they thought about playing Coley White that game. Imagine if he had gotten in to run some option. And, well, who knows what the fan base does if all of a sudden you enter the offseason with another quarterback competition.
1: Uh, answer your question, yes, Geno Smith played in that first Marshall game and obviously both of them, 2009 and 2010, uh, the 2009 one cruise to an easy twenty four seven victory kind of ride in the defense. But yeah, Coley White and never really saw any at who you know, obviously Pat White's brother, but never saw any action, real action at quarterback at West Virginia. You know, I think he got moved mm. to wide receiver. receiver the next year. Mm. So who knows? In- interesting sliding door scenario there. Uh, like you said, what, how does that impact Geno, who ended up being you know one of the, the most prolific passer in WV history, or how does that impact Coley White if all of a sudden he comes in and kind of shows some of that what his brother had too?
0: I wonder because I, uh, Pat White and Bill Stewart were extraordinarily close. Probably Stewart's biggest advocate was, was was Pat White, and not only because of what he said after the game. I think that like he really wanted to play and win that game for him. He really wanted him to get the job. That was his coach. Um, I wonder if Coley White had come in, run some option, done a reasonable Pat White impression, and won that game. What does that do for the offseason? What does that do? Because not just the the fan nature of ooh quarterback competition, but what that name means at West Virginia and what that name means to Bill Stewart. And, and who knows, maybe Coley White can run some option. He wasn't a great passer, but maybe like that 2005, 2006 style offense comes in maybe after, you know, mixed results kind of make him Pat more passer type of quarterback in 2008. And then trying to sling it around with Jared a little bit, Maybe he takes the wheel from Jeff Mullen and they try to figure things out and say, you know what? This white guy probably knows what he's doing. Let's see if he can, you know, get back to what we're doing. We'll never know. Um, but I think that would have been interesting because West Virginia was in control of this game. It was 14 to three. Jared throws an interception. And then all of a sudden the, the tie changes. Florida State plays defense, kicks and field goals, ends up winning 33 to 21. Totally different story, but who knows what might have been. Um, let's get into the game. Actually, one more thing before the game. Um... It was Bowden's last game, and he had pretty limited media stuff. I don't think he wanted to spend every day talking about his career. So the last day that um it was available for media, the Gator Bowl reps gave Colin Dunlap and me the wrong directions to their practice facility, and we ended up at some abandoned high school and had to like look at our watch and say, oh my God, we got to get 20 minutes across town in like 10 minutes, if you're familiar with Jacksonville traffic virtually impossible (laughs) so we're driving and trying to get it. we pull into a shell station and we get out and we go inside and the guy who is behind the register doesn't have any idea what we're talking about we come out and there is a gentleman who's pumping gas and i don't think colin and i were interested in engaging this man in conversation but he asked us if we needed help and we said yes and he gave us the most precise directions um, imaginable, made sure we understood it. And I got back in the car with Colin and he was laughing and I was laughing. Couldn't believe how lucky we were. We looked in the car next to us. I'm pretty sure that guy had kidnapped a woman. She was like pressed up against the window, like one of those Garfield like suction cup pets. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, I don't have time. We got to go. <laughs> so we sped across town and made it and just in time for Bowden's final press conference. Um, but also at the press conference that day, was um, so, by the way, that was great too because I mean, he was as, as folksy, as retrospective, as engaging as you could have imagined for somebody on that occasion. But also at the press conference that day was his security guard, whose name I can't remember, but I had seen him on TV for just years and years and years. And he was like this iconic stoic figure who was by Bowden's side at all times. And I just went over and said, Hey, do you got a second? And I remember writing a story about his security guard who had been with him for years and years and years and like what the end of the ride had meant for him too. And it was like one of my favorite stories so much so that I, I cannot remember the guy's name right now. And if I can find the story, I'll probably go back and live it over. But we, we got lucky with the directions and I ended up getting lucky writing the story about Bobby Bowden's security guard. And I wonder if anybody else remembers who that guy is just because it's been so long since he has no longer coached. but he was always out of the tunnel with him. He was always with them on the sideline. He was always with them on that walk to the middle of the field for handshakes and, Sometimes you don't know unless you ask, and I just asked and ended up getting one of my favorite stories out of that.
1: Why is it that you and Colin Dunlap are always into some interesting and weird stuff uh, at all these games? Because wasn't he the one with the uh, the yacht story? Uh, what was that? Correct. Yeah. yeah, That was with
0: Chris Klein's yacht, uh, Mind Games, where he said uh, he was challenged to find out who owned the um, who owned the boat. And he said, "I don't. I didn't see anybody on it, and it was crowded, and I didn't want to jump on it." And, he, and the guy who worked at the Mac for WBU, the fundraising arm, uh, this is at the Gator Bowl, the same year, I guess. Is it the same year? No, it was the Georgia Tech Gator Bowl. Um, Why don't you board the boat and find out yourself, Colin? And Colin said, "We're journalists. We're not Somalis." yeah, so it lives in infamy.
1: <laughs> I want I want to be like your parents, Mike. I think you should stop hanging out with that that young man uh, and find a new crowd to hang out with. yeah, obviously leading you down a bad path. It happens. Uh, let me lead you back down the right path. Here. by the way, it,
0: Billy Smith was the name of the security guard.
1: There you go mm-hmm. um, Back on the right path here, what do you remember about the game? I for, sorry to ask you a question and then me answer it first, but Because the only thing I really remember was, and again, this was as probably somebody who was posting on the message board being like fire Jeff Mullins spelled (laughs) M-U-L-L-E-I-N-S or whatever, Mm -hmm. but was the second half kickoff because I was like, that's it. It's over. Um, I think they ended up not getting a touchdown after that, but they they returned it all the way inside the Mm 10. And this was after West Virginia had already blown their 14 to three lead. And I was like, well, that's it. I'm not watching anymore. And that was the last I saw the game.
0: Greg Reed was the kick returner and was one of the fastest players in college football. And they said, we're not going to let that guy beat us on special teams. Um, A 69 yard kickoff return on his one kickoff return. And I want to say he had like a 30 something yard punt return too. I'm looking at the stats two for 37, but I think he had a long one in there. So, I mean, he, he definitely did affect the game and, and just, that was the one thing where that was the start of the second half. So like, hey, guys, don't forget, don't kick it to Reed. Okay? And the first thing they do is they kick it to Reed. And, like, again, it just seemed like I guess it's not going to happen. Um, you know, when you lose your quarterback, that hurts. When you got to put a freshman in, that's different. But let me ask you this. If you lose your quarterback and you got to put the freshman in, um, you might hand it to Noel, right?
1: Yeah, I'd hand it to the uh, former five-star running back that averaged 10 yards per carry in the game.
0: And I think he had five carries in the second half. Hmm. Now, he was really beat up that year, though, too. He had a concussion. He hurt his knee and his hip on one play when he got hit at a funny angle. I think he had an ankle injury that he kind of just nursed all year. Um, Not a guy who was meant to take a ton of carries. And Stewart took a ton of heat for not giving him as many touches as his talent deserved. But he never said it. But he was always saying, I can't get that guy beaten into the dirt. I got to have him around. We have to minimize things and stretch him out for the year. And it really did catch up to him, and not because he got too much work, but like he got enough that it he got beat up. Just like I mean, you're talking about how tiny um, Tavon was. Noel smaller, probably right, more stout, probably could bench press more, but not a big guy. When you're running into those linebackers and defensive linemen, you know, 20 times a game.
1: Yeah, and I don't think he. I mean, I, he had the moves to do it, but he didn't have. I don't know if it was the wherewithal or the desire to slip and you know not get hit square on like you know when Tavon's going up and he's about to get tackled you can see him kind of turn his body ever so slightly so the hit is not so bad or he slips out of bounds or whatever it is and uh Noel was not known for doing that so he took a lot of punishment
0: (laughs) yep so jump out to a 14-3 lead it's 14-13 and a half time Uh, they had a really good kicker Dustin Hopkins he made a long field goal at the end of the first half and then we're talking about that um, kickoff return by Reed. The defense holds on the five yard line, and they end up with the 22 yard field goal. They take the lead, 16 to 14. And then on the final possession of the third quarter, a touchdown run makes it 23 to 16. And you're getting the theme here. This is four straight scores by Florida State. Um, the only offense in the second quarter. The only offense in the third quarter is Florida State. West Virginia had 150 yards and 14 points in the first quarter. You're thinking, oh, my God, Florida State's defense is as bad as advertised. And when I mean that, uh, 108 in rushing defense, 77 in pass defense, 108 in total defense, 94 in scoring defense. That first quarter is exactly how it's supposed to go if you've had a month to prepare and you have the weapons that West Virginia did have on offense. So 149 yards in the first quarter. They finished with 328. Mm-hmm. so not great toward the finish only seven points in the final 45 minutes it comes on a ryan clark touchdown run interestingly set up by a noel run um but after that ej Manuel, aka pj danielson builds on the 23 to 21 lead of the touchdown late in the game west virginia is trying to get the ball back down by nine can't another field goal and then pretty much out of sorts right there um had the lead, and then they got outscored thirty to seven the rest of the way by a pretty bad defensive team.
1: And that, obviously, I think a lot of fans were already upset about the previous year with the eight and four regular season, even with the the kind of nine and four fireworks in the uh, Car Care Bowl with Pat White going out, going out throwing, um, and then this year that ending really soured people. I think on. On Bill Stewart, if they if they weren't already soured on him, or at least if not Stewart, then Jeff Mullen or whoever you want to try to blame it on, but what was it like immediately after the game? It was strange
0: because I I, I don't I mean there wasn't anything that made you say this guy's in trouble, but you can kind of tell that like that was a really big chance for him. He would have been two and zero in bowl games, and would would have been exactly what he should have been that day. They had the better team. I don't think you can look at the the seasons that those two teams had maybe even the rosters, and say that they were 12 points worse than Florida State or that Florida State was better than West Virginia. Um, unfortunately, some things were out of his hand. Um, Brown gets hurt. Um, Noel, I think, was still—I think he even got maybe rolled up during that game. and just It just didn't work out for him. Um, so that was, I think, a chance that maybe he could have really elevated himself and gotten himself further away from that night in the desert in early 2008, which people were going to hold against him no matter what. And if you beat UNC in a bowl game in Charlotte, and eh, so what? If you beat Florida State in a game that you're invited to because it's Florida State. Florida State's still a, a big name at that time. It still is a big name now. But like if you beat Florida State and you win a game that you're invited to be at as a guest, you kind of distance yourself from some things that people say about you, like, yeah, hey, he'll never be this or he's only here because of that. You start to look like a legitimate coach with a legitimate program, which is good because like he had a lot coming back next year. Um, Gino looked like he was going to be good and was. Uh Noel and Jock Sanders both said they were going to come back. Sands is going to be a sophomore. A lot of those players that we mentioned on defense were going to be back the following year. Their defense was really good next year. Year three of the program should have been very good. Uh, I did not know this until after the game when I watched it, but at the end of the game, um, the commentary crew, by the way, Vern Lundquist and Gary Danielson, mm. pretty good. Uh, he said that. They said that they had had a meeting with Stewart during the week, which is common—the play-by-play and the announcer. They meet with the coach, they have a meeting, they talk about things. Um, but they said that Stewart thought they had national championship potential for the following season. And you hear that when your t- when your team is losing and getting run out of the Gator Bowl by a team that probably isn't as good as you, and you can't move the ball against a bad defense, kind of looks weird, and it kind of goes into like some of that stuff that people held against Stewart. You know, he was too optimistic, he was too rosy, too folksy, but. If they win that game and if they take care of business, if they go from 14 to 3 to, I don't know, 35 13 and they assert themselves against Florida State, how different could that have been?
1: Yeah, when you look at that 2010 roster, holy cow, man, that is really that good. That is a loaded team. that That is a loaded team. I, I mean, I don't know who. if you were like, I had to put me on, a, on the spot to pick a team just based off of talent on the roster, not, not coaching staffs, not results, not that stuff. Just here's the talent you have on your roster in your starting lineup and, you know, whatever scheme, whatever, whatever, whatever you want to pick. It's hard to pass on that 2010 team. Like the whole starting defense is tremendous. Garvin Thomas. This is Julian Miller, Robert Sands, Najee Good, Brandon Hogan. Uh, This is Bruce Irvin when he's got 14 sacks, Good God, that was, a, that was a good team and uh, still probably goes down for a lot of people as one of the most disappointing seasons, um, especially for – which is odd to say for a team that fin- also finished 9-4. But maybe that's another story for another day.
0: No, no, I think you're with it there. Um forgot to mention this because I'm reading the transcript from the post game, but uh, the team got in a brawl in practice one of the final days before the game. Um, I think they maybe were wound too tight because they had been – waiting for a while to play that game. And I think they practiced a good amount of time down there, too, but no details came out, but apparently it was a really chippy brawl uh, in practice one of the days before the game. But after the game, when you're asking what I remember about it now, too, um, in those situations, the losing team goes first because the winning team is out in the field. They're getting their trophy. They're doing the pictures. They have the TV interview, and obviously it's Bowden, so that's going to be a big to-do. Um, so West Virginia was first for the post-game press conference, and Stewart wouldn't come out of the locker room because he wanted to have a stat sheet. He did not want to speak about the game unless he could reference numbers. And they kept saying, there's a stat sheet out for you on the table. And I don't think he wanted to review the stat sheet in front of the reporters. He wanted to get it. So there was a long delay. And because of that, um, it went long, and then the players were coming out because it was time to talk to the players. So he didn't really get a long run with the media there. But, you know, he was asked about why he didn't run Noel. And he just said we couldn't get in the rhythm. And some of that had to do with... um you know, with not having Pat being up to speed on the offense and not being able to go maybe go no huddle or, or kind of manufacture some things, but I think that he was kind of taken aback. He had to answer that question because, you know, why didn't he use the more? Well, he had, you know, a bunch of carries, he had 18 touches, but um, he also, they got the ball to Jock Sanders a bunch, and, you know, they were trying to use their speed outside and keep it in the middle, um, but kind of said that they were trying to be balanced and keep Mickey Andrews off balance didn't quite work, but um at the end of the game um at the end of the press conference he's asked about what do you take about this for next year and he says um this is this is typical bill and like good stuff you know life is not as bad as you think we lost the football game and i guess there are those who will say he was new too nice to bobby but i thought it was just right i thought we'll have a donny brook out there maybe we'll have a schoolyard bully once he's challenged we took it right on and thought that this was going to be just right. I thought this day was the day the mountaineers would shine, but we fell short. I compliment our opponent. It has been a joy to be with you fine people here. And then he finishes with this. Let me tell you about the creed of the mountains. Remember this, faith, hope, and love. Faith on our plan. Hope we will always play with passion. I know those boys wearing the old gold and blue. They will love the old golden blue until the day they expire. Thank you and God bless. And that was his final words. Of that season, the punctuation mark for twenty nine, and kind of let the the catapult into the off season, which was dotted by Oliver Luck's arrival, his quick evaluation of the program, and then the obviously momentous two thousand and ten season. Quite a way to finish, though, huh?
1: Absolutely, and man, I think I doing this, having this conversation right now. We've touched on about maybe seven other stories that I'd love to dive into in a different mm-hmm. podcast. And I think other people would too, but, uh, maybe just, maybe we'll do that on another podcast and try to keep it inside the 25 to 30, 30 minute limits that we have set for ourselves. Cause, uh, we have once more gone way over that mark.
0: It's unlikely, but I'm willing to try. <laughs> Let's do it.
1: We'll do it for the people. Um, but you ready to wrap this one up now, Mike? You got any more stories from that day?
0: Take it on, Chris. All
1: right. Uh, everybody, thanks for listening. We got a lot of good stuff coming up over the next over the site of the next few days. We got recruiting updates. Uh, we got a look at some football records that won't be broken, a breakdown of how this uh, 2021 recruiting class might finish. Then, of course, we get right into the NFL draft where I think uh, you know, it's not gonna be as uh, top heavy as some drafts have been for West Virginia in recent years. But there will be a lot of names, a lot of guys that will find their future in the NFL before the weekend is over in some form or another. And we will have coverage for you all the way through all that. Uh, so be sure to come check out the site uh, over at earsports.com. And until next time, I am Chris Anderson.
0: I am starting the food argument of the day post on the board, Mike Casazza.
1: <laughs> and please, please put hot sauce on your gravy and biscuits. Thanks for listening.